uh, the last chapter in the book of Ephesians, and uh, as you know, uh, Paul is in building this dynamic case to the Ephesian church, a church that he was very familiar with, and some of the challenges that they were having. And last week, uh, we ended up chapter 5 with Minister Latham talking about relationships as far as uh, the family is concerned, husband and wife and, and relationships in that nature. And so chapter 6 tonight kind of picks up um, where chapter 5 left off because he continued to talk about relationship, but tonight he begins by talking about relationship between a parent, a father, uh, and, and children, uh, and, and as well as he will go into a, how relationships should be between uh, a master and a slave or a person who uh, is working or serving someone in one capacity and a person who is responsible for that person in the other capacity. And we're going to talk about that, and I think in order to make that part relevant, uh, we can't look at it from the way that we have been brought up to see slavery from just a, a class system with just one set of people being enslaved. For here, we're going to see tonight that people were enslaved, uh, sometimes voluntarily. They served others because they worked for them. And then in other cases, they were lost battles and they ended up in that situation. And there was some evil trading going on. But because society was doing things evil, God never intended for cruelty toward mankind to be elevated to that level. And so in that part of this reading, we got to see it from the standpoint of he's speaking to this church. And in this church, you probably have some people who done got saved and they uh, have servants, and you got some people who done got saved and they were servants. And what he was telling them is that, hey, your relationship with each other got to change now because of who you are related to, because you've come into this body, and so therefore that takes precedence. But it still requires us to know and understand the roles that we uh, play in this relationship. So first of all, uh, he'll start there, and then we end up looking at the armor of God, and so we'll uh, try to focus our attention there as we work our way through this chapter. So uh, in chapter 6, verse 1, we see this. He says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Now, I thought it was strange that he didn't say they belong to their parents. He said, tell the children that they are to obey their parents. And that word here that we see for children is talking about young children. I mean, probably children that are under the age of teenagers. These are not young adults or, or adults uh, who can, are capable of being and taking care of themselves. So here children is talking about those who are still in the household of their, their parents, and they're dependent on their parents to, to take care for them and provide for them. So he says, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Then he says, for this is the right thing to do. So in God's eyes, it is right for children to obey their parents. And in a family, just like with the husband and wife relationships, there's an order, and God expects the children to obey their parents because it's right. And then at the same time, he expects them to honor their father and mother. He said that this is the first commandment with a promise. Now, the question I have for you then, how do you see when he says obey your parents, then he comes back and says honor your father and mother. So how do you understand Obedience versus honoring. Anybody just want to take a, take a hit at that? Obedience versus honor. It says, now, children are to obey their parents. 
So whether we like it or not, our parents got more wisdom than we, than we have at the time, because we're talking to children. And so therefore, as long as your parents telling you to do something right, then it ain't supposed to be no lip service about it. Because you're a child. So don't obey. So the three-year-old and the five-year-old shouldn't be ruling the house. Because they ain't wise enough to do it. So he says in that regard, I ask you, so when you look at obedience like that and you see that, then what does honor mean to you? Anybody? Your answer is your answer. We'll get there, and we'll kind of keep it on, on, on in the course that, that the, the author wants us to stay in. But when he says honor, so he told me I got to obey mom and dad while I'm a child, and then he says honor father and mother. This is the first command with a promise. Anybody? What does honor mean? Yes. I think, it's on. Uh -huh. I, I think that if you obey them, you will be honoring them as you obey your parents. Okay, so you see a, a close connection there with obedience and honor. And yeah. he says, so he says, obey them, then he says honor. Now, honor does carry a, a slightly different meaning than just purely obedience, because if it was exactly the same, he could have just said obedience. Don't have to even bring honor, honor into the picture. So when we look at that, anybody else, you know, got an answer, got a thought on that? Okay, so honor has to do with, well, Respect, to love and respect them. Okay, so now he says, first, obey them, as long as they're not telling you to do something crazy, that go against God's word, and children normally, you know, wouldn't even know because if they're young, but as they grow and they know right and wrong, then even most people who may be considered a bad, bad parent, I don't think ever really tried to tell, them, tell their children to do something that was going to hurt them. Even, even when we weren't saved and didn't know the Lord, I don't think any of us that have children, when they were small, we tried to tell them to do something, to obey us in some way that we know was not going to be beneficial to them. And so therefore, we got to work from the premise that these Christian parents were not going to have their children obeying ungodly commands, that they were going to be trying to get them to do things in accordance with what they had been taught as Christians. And then he says, because the children belong to the Lord, he tells the children to know that, hey, this is the right thing for you to do. So now when I honor my father and my, and my mother, this is the first command with a promise. He says, honor says that even though I get grown, I may not have to obey them when I'm grown. I'm grown, got my own job, living on my own, and all of a sudden daddy's going to tell me, hey, you can't buy a new car. Well, I'm grown now. I got a job. I don't have to listen to daddy if I want a new car and I can afford one. Because he shouldn't be stepping out of that lane, in, his, in that lane, now that I'm grown. There ought to be a, a level of mutual respect. Okay? So therefore, but even though I'm grown, I'm still supposed to honor mother and father, all the days of my life. I don't have to obey them, but I should, if they're giving me godly wisdom still, but I'm not required to obey everything they tell me to do now I'm grown, because now I'm old enough to make some decision for myself. They can offer me suggestions, they can offer me that, and, and you ain't got to be too deep to figure this one out. You got some of your children ain't did what you told them to do. 
when they got grown. So we ain't got to get spiritual right here. It's the natural. Some of us gave our grown children some advice, said you shouldn't do this, you ought to do that, and they did just what they wanted to do. Why? Because they were grown. The only leverage we hold over grown children is if they're still living with you. You can threaten them with, hey, you know, you're still under my roof. And that's when, you know, we, the tension gets tough, and they're going to figure out, okay, well, I'm getting out of here. Because I'm... And so when children get grown, our attitudes toward them have to change. We cannot teach grown, treat grown children uh, like babies, or like infants, or like teenagers. We got to respect them for being grown. And if we respect them for being grown, then I believe that they will honor us all the days of our lives. So when we get old, they won't be, you know, distant. Because there's this mutual respect for one another. And I'm going to carry that even though I may not agree with you, Dad, on this job decision that I'm about to make. I ask you your opinion, but at the end of the day, if I disagree with you, I can do that. I am. And so I, I say to you, if you've got grown children, you've got to handle them differently. got to handle them different. Go ahead, Adrian. I, I mean, you got to handle them different. I'm just telling you, you got to handle them different. Because they're grown. Yeah. yeah. They're grown. And see, I think that's where conflicts come in family because now when you've got a 21, 22, 23-year-old and you're still treating them like they're 12 or 13 or 14, you're going to have some issues. So when they get grown and get hard-headed, you're just going to have to pray more. Because they really don't have to listen to you. It would be wise if they would. <laughs> Let's be honest for a minute. How many of y'all stopped listening to your family, your mom and dad, when you got grown, did something they told you? They told you, try, they try to tell you who, who you ought to be dating. You You grown. You know, you, 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 you don't know, you can't tell me, I, I, I'm grown now. You see what I'm saying? They can offer a suggestion, but at the end of the day, you're grown. And, and I know sometimes it's hard for us to accept that, but that's what he says here. He says, now, we got to honor them all the days of our lives. But when it comes to them giving us orders, those relation, that relationship changed when they get grown. So now we deal with them and we suggest things and we recommend and we sit down and talk to them, but we got to realize grown children going to do what grown children want to do. I know that wasn't going to go, but I saw a hand, I can see a hand over here. I know y'all want to keep it that they're going to act right. No, they grown. Pastor, you, you must have said before I came in that if they live in your house, I did it say that. I said you have that okay. as leverage. If they're still living with you, you've got a little leverage. But you know, when you throw that car down often enough, one time they're going to go ahead and call you, call your car, and say, look here, I'll see you later. I'm getting my stuff. Because they're grown. Amen. <laughs> and if they want to leave and they grow, you can't stop them. They're grown. It looked like y'all don't want to accept the fact that they're grown. When you got grown, you didn't want your mom and dad to tell you what to do every step of the way. 
So I, I, even though I was going to always call dad for wisdom, for counseling, but I, I didn't call him for him to tell me what I need to do for everything, every decision I was about to make. So when I was in the streets, I didn't call him for him to tell me, you know, you can't go to the club on Friday. No, I'm grown. He, he, can, he, can, he, can, he can say it, but he can't give me an order and say, you better be at home by 9 o'clock. I'm grown. Brother Herb, go ahead. There is a definition between being a parent and being a father. My, my, my point is you already established is that being a parent, that means they're under your covering as being a parent. So once they leave your household, it's a, they're, in a sense now, they're just a, your, you know, your father or a mother. They're not your parent anymore. You are removed under their coverings, not parenting you no more. Mm -hmm. I think that is a different definition of saying being a parent and being a father or a mother. That's the way I look at it because, okay. I, you know, once my sons leave, my children leave the household, I'm not parenting them no more. We agree on that. I, you know I, what I'm saying? So now it's not the parents of my orders or whatever the instructions and follow my instructions under my, under my covering. It's a different story. They're not under my covering anymore in the sense of parenting them. But then when they leave, then that's a different story to a point. Now they look at me as being a father. Mm -hmm. Now under that by father and other than that mother. There's a whole, that's the, my definition, what it looks like. So, yes, I, I don't expect my son to follow my instruction once they leave my household because I'm not parenting him no more. It's not under my, it's not under my covering. Amen. Okay. So I think we're saying the same thing. Just so that, that is words. different. So the, the principle is that once kids get grown, your relationship with them and how you manage, handle, or deal with them has to change. But they're honoring you should never change. They may not have to obey you all the time. And if they do, that's fine. Because there are some grown kids that still will do exactly what mom and daddy say. Okay? But, they, but they're, they're, they're rare. Amen. Because when they get grown, they want, they want to be grown. And some of them want to be grown before they get grown. That's right. Amen. Amen. Well, let, me, let me say, when they get mature and think that they can make their own decision, they don't need your wisdom for everything. Brother Willie, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you know, in my household, uh, I got a son in college, and, and, and he want to be grown, but he still want father wisdom, and he want father money. So you can't be grown and ask me for my money. <laughs> you, got to, you got to choose one of the two. You're either going to follow my rules, or you're not going to get what I have to give you. And that's, that's just point blank. But, but he's still a child. Under my, under my rules, he's still a child. Although he lived in the dorm over in Pensacola, he, he, he decides that he don't want to come home that much now. Mm -hmm. Because he knows when he comes home, he's a, a child again. <laughs> he, he, he's an adult now, but he's a child again in my house. See, see, but then if you let him come in there and rule your house, then he's an adult. He got to go. 
Because now, now he ought to honor your house. He ought That's to right. honor and respect That's right. the rules respect of your house. Me. Say, say, meaning that, okay, if you got kids and say, while they're off in college, they drink a little beer. Right. But they know there's a no beer rule in your house. That's right. He shouldn't come to your house with his six pack. That's right. Because no I'm going to honor my father's house. That's right. Ain't my house. I'm grown, but I'm going to honor his house. Now, when I leave here, I'm going to go and get it and take it back to the door with me because I'm grown. That's what you do. That's right. But I am going to honor him and respect his, in this house. his house. That's right. And, and that's how you got to be, you know. I remember when my kids were in college, you know, Lady Jeanette, I mean, she didn't take no tea for the fever on certain things. And when they started dating, they thought they just going to show up with their date. Who they date? No. They ain't sleeping in here. Y'all, hey, I mean, what you doing over on the college campus? Ain't going to play out of here. You better get him a hotel room. <laughs> or you know, leave him on the campus when you come home because he ain't sleeping in there. And I thought she was too tough. I said, man, that's just tough. But, but you didn't look at it. There's some house rules. And so they had to respect those house rules even though they were grown. And, and, and so every house can be a little bit different. Every child can be a little bit different. But at some point in time, what the Bible is trying to get us to see, there got to be this relationship between parents and children, fathers and children, as that relationship grow and grow and grow. It should be a relationship that, is, that, that honors God. You know, just like the marriage ought to honor God, the relationship with father and children ought to honor God. A, mother, a father and mother and children should honor God. Ahead, Every home should have rules. But if they don't, that's unfair. I firmly believe if my house is my way or the highway, you can't bring nobody in my house, but you're going to see why you didn't marry to that person. Because that's not what I taught you. You come outside, I go to a hotel with them. I don't have a problem. Well, go to their houses if they allow that. Amen. But not in my house. And you I don't think, do that. And I think parents, each, you know, there are some parents that are a little bit more liberal. I mean, that, hey, kids come home with their boyfriend from college. They know, hey, mom and dad's cool with that. They even let them sleep in the same bedroom. I mean, they're just cool with that because they figure out they're already knocking boots in college, so why are you going to, why are you going to, that's old school right there, that's real old school right there, I mean, you know, that's old school, that's old school, but anyway, so, so, so what I'm trying to get you to see is that, man, in a, in a home, relationships are important, but we have to know how to respect relationships as our kids get older because we don't want to do things that would turn them away from Christ. So he says, now look, if you honor your father and mother, things will go well. I believe that's a true statement. I believe our kids will listen to us most of the time. Things will go well for them. And, and they will have, and you will have long life on the earth. You know, and, and, but sometimes our kids, when they get to that point of wanting to rebel, and maybe sometimes our kids rebel because they may have felt like they was oppressed so long at home that the minute I can get out of here, I'm going to do what I want to do. Because of the way that relationship was when there was a parent-child relationship. And so I think that sometimes we have to we have to evaluate how we are raising our kids so that you know in in a in a right sense I don't think no kid ought to be just saying to you if you if you're the type of parent that God wants you to be, I don't think no kid ought to be telling you I can't wait to get out your house. Something wrong. 
I mean, something is wrong with the relationships if all your child is waiting for to get out of high school, turn 18, and get away from you. Something wrong. And it could be a two-way street. It don't mean that you may be wrong, but the kid may have some issues. But that ought to be troubling us. And as Christians, we know that, hey, man, our children just can't wait to get away from us. I, I, give, my kids, I give my kids freedom to do most of everything within limits. I don't hold them too tight, but I don't let them too loose. Amen. Just enough. Amen. And, and I think that that's where wisdom come in as parents. Each child I found is different. You got to know how ho- tight the whole one and how loose the whole another one because they are different. They're, 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 there's no cookie cutter from the same family. And so what he says here in, in verse 4, he says, fathers. Now, now he comes and brings the focus back on fathers because in this culture, fathers were the primary person in charge of the house. And this time, the man was it. He was the authority figure. The women were subjected to the husband at, to a certain degree, and the children were subjected to him because the man ran things. That was just the culture that they lived in that time. So in this culture, women probably were not as educated as the men. So therefore, when he comes now, he says, fathers, because you rule the house, you're the head of the house, that's God's order, ain't got no problem with that. Now he tells the fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. And sometimes we can go too far when we try to talk and deal with our kids. And, and, and you bait them into rebelling against you. Amen. And you know, and, and, and sometimes we can do it and we think we're being good Christian parents. Because I had my middle daughter, she was a little bit more stubborn than the rest of them. And, and you know, she would, she would bounce back. I mean, come back out a little bit. And I, and, I, and I remember this, and I regret this to this day, that one time she wouldn't do something, and I knew I, I, I set her up to get on my bad side. So I had justification. And I look back at that and say, man, I should have found this scripture in the Bible. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. You got to treat them like human beings. You got to treat them with love. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that come from the Lord. So at that time, I was probably not dealing with her with the instruction like the Lord gave the instruction. I was dealing with like, you know, I was brought up. You know, as boys, not all boys, but I, I remember as a, as, a, as a young boy coming up, at about 14, I got crazy. You know, I want to bow up against dad because he had said something, did something I didn't like, and I figured, okay, that's the time. <laughs> I'm going to bow up. Man, that was the biggest mistake I made in my life. I remember that like it was yesterday. I mean, had it been for granddad, I'd probably be dead now. Because dad wasn't going to take that bowing up, but I just bowed up. Something means to just rise. <laughs> and so I figured this middle daughter of mine, you know, she was the one that probably should have been the boy because I just pushed it so much. And, and that day she bowled, bowled up to me, man. And I'm saying, my God. But when I look back at that, I look at it and say, man, I pushed her into that corner. 
that ever ask her to forgive me? Well, you know, for a long time, I didn't want to own up to that I was wrong. I'm the man. My house. My rule. My kingdom. I can rule my kingdom the way I want to. See, I was thinking, not like the Lord, but thinking from our human fleshly point of view. And so that's why he says now, we can't provoke our children to anger by the way we treat them. And those of you who got children coming up, I hope you listen to this, because you're going to have to deal with them and discipline them and give them instruction that comes from the Lord. So when we teach our children, the instruction that we give them should be based on biblical principles, practices, things of that nature. And we should stand on what the Bible says. You know, there's a big debate out there what, you know, spateroid, you spoil your child and all that. I ain't going to argue how you discipline your children because nowadays the psychologists telling you, you know, you can't tell them. You can't, you just got to let them, you got to reason with them. And if that's working for you, you reason with your children. If you got some of you that still got small kids. If you want to sit down and negotiate the deal with them and that's working for your household, The Bible says train them up. And, 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 well, you know, I, today, you know, the kids got, got the number to the, to the popo when you, so you try to put the rod on them. They, 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 they report you nowadays. They, you can't, you, we can't treat them like granddaddy treated us. I, I mean, granddaddy just didn't know no better. He just was like that, you know. Grand, grand, granddaddy didn't care. When you came across granddaddy, my granddaddy, he, he, he just didn't, when you crossed him the wrong way, whatever he could find was going to be your instrument of torture. And so what that did teach me, after crossing him once or twice, I don't want to cross granddad again because I ain't going to play with that broomstick. <laughs> no, 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 no. Granddad, I remember the worst whipping I got with a clothes hanger. <laughs> but I look at this, I look at that, and I turned out all right. They, nobody told me I was supposed to be this broken person who don't know how to live in life because I got whipped with a clothes hanger. So I'm mentally unfit. But nowadays, kids are saying, Mama, I'm treating me wrong because I can't function as an adult. Now, that may be true in some, I, I don't know. I, they didn't teach us about trauma then. They didn't, they didn't tell me that was PTSD. They didn't tell me I was supposed to have PTSD after that whooping. I was supposed to have PTSD. Ain't nobody told me about no PTSD. So I figured I'm supposed to bounce back and don't do it again. But now we understand psychology is letting us know that we can't traumatize our kids. Yes, yes. And let me read on because I, I got to get to this next. Go ahead, go ahead. So far, the psychologists and all this extra stuff, not the old school way. How you think it's working in society today with all that shooting and killing myself because I don't like myself? And how you compare that with the people from the past with the kids today? Man, that's a tough one. I, I, you know, we live in a society and a culture now where kids have access to too much stuff, too much information. When we were coming up, we never thought about no suicide. I mean, nobody, we, we didn't even talk suicide because we, we'd never seen nobody do that. And if it was, it was somebody who OD'd on something. Even during that time, people weren't OD'ing on drugs like they do now. So a lot of that stuff, we were, it just wasn't happening. 
But I think over time, our culture and our society has gotten worse. The Bible said in the last day, they're going to get evil and evil. And so the things that we did were maybe been mad, bad, but drinking too much Mad Dog 2020 wasn't going to kill me. Because, I, I mean, I'm glad it didn't kill me, you know, because I wasn't going to shoot up with no hair or none of that. It was just drink Mad Dog. The what? You know? but, 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 but again, I, I, I will say that since I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist and deal with ch children's behavior, I do believe that there may be some substance to what they're saying about how children are raised now. But I think we were raised to be tough. I mean, we were, we were just brought up tough, man, because we didn't have a lot. We just, it just came. I, I don't think granddad intended to make me tough. It just that that's all he knew. Because mm -hmm. he was just a tough dude. But what, what the Bible says about the word, it says when you hear the word, you learn the word, and it, it, you come at faith. Faith, right? We're going to get there too. Amen. But the reason why I say that, if these people wasn't talking and telling these kids, if you come and tell me, ah, oh, if you do this and this, I start thinking about it. That's it, you put it in my mind. You plant that seed, and that's what they doing. They they planting these seed in these kids and head. Oh, they you abused when you was a child because you get a little spanking. You this. Oh no, your mother don't like you. No, you're sad. Oh, you don't know what to do. When my kids them come up there, I said, you better go sit down and read the Bible, go draw something. You well, know? you know, I do, I do believe that there's a, a lot of influences out there now. We're going to talk about because we're talking about spiritual warfare. And so I do believe music has changed now. There's subliminal messages in the music that's a lot deeper than it used to be when we was coming up. And, and, I, and I also believe that uh, the society that we lived in back then, um, compared to the Internet and having access to a lot of stuff, that we, 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 we never listened to music that even suggested for us to kill ourselves and commit suicide. That, that, that thought just never ran to the, through the hood that I grew up in. We never thought and talked like that. Now, it may have been possible happening somewhere, but not in my neighborhood. That was never a thought that came across our mind. But nowadays, our kids are going to school with kids who are talking about ending their lives, who are listening and watching programs that glorify that. So it's a, it's a different warfare out there. Now, it's still spiritual, but the tools that the enemy is using nowadays is far more subtle than what we were brought up with. Brother Herb, go ahead. One of the things that, um, especially coming out in Ephesians and what we've been been studying, we have to, for me, to understand um, this Christian walk. It, it, it's, it gives us a foundation for a point where the first three chapters where Paul was trying to let us know who we are now as being a Christians, because the way before I was understanding that I was a Christian, I came out of the world. I thought the world, and that's what, we, that's what I came from. And everything that I came from, I was, I was of the world. And so all the things that the world was doing was all against what God they didn't get the right instructions, if you understand what I'm saying. And so the way I grew up is that my mother and father didn't, didn't, did not know these things. So my mother and father was, was in the world. Amen. And I was a sinner, and they was a sinner. We thought it was a sinner, and we came from out of the world. And so what I'm li listening to now when it says about, about parenting, we're talking about chapter 6. Now, as being a Christian, 
this is how you should treat your children. Amen. And your children should be obedient to your, to your parents. I didn't know that, if, if you understand. We thought of the world, what I'm trying to say. And Paul is trying to give you, trying to get the, you know, just the practical, what he's saying. This is what you should look like, and this is what you're supposed to do. Amen. And so I can go to the things that what is showing right now. Uh, un, now, I didn't get that. Amen. And so that's why in, in this passage, so. he, he does lend itself to we have a responsibility to discipline and give our children instructions that come from the Lord. Going back to what we said earlier, granddaddy didn't come to me with the Bible when it was time to deal with me. I mean, that was, I, I, I didn't know nothing about the Bible like that. We went, he, didn't, he didn't come like that. So he came to me in the flesh and how to deal with it in the flesh. And so that's how we learn. But then now, it would have been probably better if granddaddy and them was going to church during that time or, or taking that word serious, or even if they was taught. And so a lot of that things that happened way in that culture back then, a lot of my granddaddy couldn't read. So, so, so a lot of things that he would have had to know from the word, if he wasn't going to church, he couldn't read it for himself to get it. Somebody had to explain it to him. He wasn't opening himself up to that. But, but my point is, is that even though Granddad was a tough dude, now he, was, he had a good heart because he's going to help everybody in the community. He was that guy that was going to help anybody in the community that was in need because he had means to get stuff. But at the same time, he didn't take no tea for the fever. I mean, he was just that, that type of guy. I mean, and, 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 you know, he probably wasn't the only granddad that was like that, but he was just that guy. And so as a result of that, when I look back at that and say, man, we lived through some tough times, but my point is, it never made me feel like I could not succeed. It never made me feel like I wasn't worth anything because I got spankings or diminished me in any way. But nowadays, it may be damaging children. So you got to know your children. I'm not an advocate to say everybody, you know, need to spank their children. But look, some, some little Johnny do need it. Time out ain't working. Amen. Now, you go raise your children where you want. Let me go on. Let me go. Now, we're talking about relationships because people, everybody got to do it their way. That's going to work for their family, but it should be in accordance with the word. So if you want to argue that the word do authorize you to spank your children, so be so, so be it. But the word also say you ought not to provoke them and love them and push them into a corner. So however the Lord leads you, now that you know better, like Brother Herbert saying, we got to do better. But then he get into this touchy area when he start talking about slaves and masters. And again, I told you during this time, Slave, people were slaves or servants for very, very, very many reasons. You know, some people went into it because they, they couldn't support themselves, so they, they went and worked for wealthy people. Some people were enslaved because the Romans was a vicious, vicious empire, the Roman Empire. When they conquered people, they put them in slavery, okay? And, and so uh, some people went in slavery or were serving because they had to pay off debt. That's why in a, in a uh, I guess in a metaphorical way, that's why when people tell you that when you owe somebody, you are a servant to the person that you owe. In essence, you are a slave to whoever you, your next car payment is to. Amen? And so what we got to see here is that don't connect this to the way we understand the slave trade that took place into America. Because of those Christian slave owners had read this scripture and treated the slaves like the Bible, Paul was trying to get these folks to treat them, then slavery wouldn't have caused us to be separated from families and hung and lynched and all that because 
that don't line up with the scriptures. So therefore, there were people who was parading Christianity, but at the same time, they weren't living what the Bible said. So they could take this passage of scripture and use it to twist it to justify what they wanted to do. So do we know that none of you have experienced slavery in a physical way like our great, 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 great grandparents did. So let me read this, but I don't want you to think about Kunta in the game because you can't identify with Kunta sometimes. Just Finley, ain't no way you can identify with Kunta. You know, your generation came up pretty good. Pretty good. My generation was the beginning of coming up pretty good, but my children and my grandchildren's generation is living in a whole different world than I grew up in. But the world has still got some wicked people out there, but it's still a different world we grew up in. So what I want you to see this as is if you are working for someone today, if you don't own the company, you don't own the Air Force, but you work for the Air Force, then in essence, you are a servant. At one time, before the military was called the armed forces, it used to be called the armed services. Because you were a servant when you came into the military. So whether you're working at McDonald's or you're GS 13 or 14 out on the beach, you're a servant. Amen? And so when we read this, he's saying now, our relationship with the person or the people or the organization that we work for got to be looked at from a Christian standpoint. And some of this is going to be hard to digest if you read this in your flesh. Now look at this. So he says, slaves, and I'm going to say employees. The EE versus the ER. The employee, and some of y'all got employees that work for you, people that work under you. Some of you are the employee. Now, the difference between endorsing the back of the check and signing the front of the check. So if you're endorsing the back, you employ. So he says, now, employees, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear, with reverence, respect. See, this word respect is running through in the relationship with fathers and children, parents and children. Now it is coming down to this respect piece is in the relationship with servants. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. See, when we work on a job, we never make a connection to our service to that job as if we are serving the Lord. Because we were coming up in the world, it was always the man. I got to go to the slave because I got to work for the, the man. Well, I wasn't saved then, so I never saw going to my job at the end of when I was in high school as serving as unto the Lord. No, I was working for Mr. Khan. He was a hard dude, cheap dude, worked up like Hebrew slaves. So, I, so ain't no way I could have read that and thought that, man, this dude, this relationship ain't like this supposed to be. Ain't no way I'm going to serve him like that. Because I wasn't saved then. But now if I had been a Christian and saved, then I would have had to treat Mr. Khan with respect, even though I may not have liked him as a person. 
So because I didn't like Mr. Khan, I had no love for him, I used to steal from Mr. Khan. I didn't know the Bible. And so when I did inventory, Mr. Khan didn't come down and count the pants and the shirt. I did that. And so when they come 12 in a box, I just put 10 out. And the other two belong to me. And when I leave the store, I'm going to spell Mr. Khan's stuff. Because I was a heathen. I didn't know. I didn't know. And so, but if I had been saved, I would have known that, hey, even though I may not like Mr. Khan like that, I ain't supposed to steal from him. Because if I steal from him, it's like stealing from the Lord. Never looked at it like that. But now that we're older, we got to say, okay, now we got to see the relationship is that we're in a relationship where we got to represent the Lord in the relationships that we're in, whether we're the boss or the boss. Amen. So now look, he said, he said, obey your earthly master with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them at all times or all the time. Not just when they are watching you. Newsflash. Those of you who are teleworking now, and you don't have to go in but one day of the week, you got to serve them as if they were watching you. Hey Amen. You can't sit at home and, you know, be drinking your lattes and avocado toast and then them figure out how to hit the computer and check in, make it look like you're doing something, you know, to keep it. Keep it. You're a Christian now. You can't cheat the time. I'm just talking about to those people who are under COVID now because right now a lot of people said I ain't going back to work and employees are having to allow them to work at home. And so if you're a Christian working at home, count it as a blessing, but don't turn your blessing into a curse by cheating the boss. Okay, let me read off. No, it ain't, they shouldn't. If they, if they pay you on time and pay you what they say they're going to pay you, they ain't cheating you. They only cheat you when they don't give you what they say they're going to pay you for the time you work. Now, they may be, they, they, they may not have your wages where you think everybody else is, but that's where you got to negotiate, go to somewhere else. But if, if they're paying you what you agreed to, Get your mic, get your mic. It don't necessarily mean money or, you, you know, in that aspect. It can be your time. You're, so you're supposed to get 15 minutes breaks, breaks that you don't most of the time don't see. That's your time and your money, really, because it's paid for, for you to get that. Then if that's the policy, then you have to make <coughs> them honor their policy. I mean, there ought to be some type of way that you can express your grievance with a policy. If, if the policy say you're supposed to get 15 minutes an hour, then you, you, you're entitled to that. That's what the policy is. Yeah, that's what the policy says, but that's not what people do. I'm just saying. Okay. Oh, you work for that W company. <laughs> that, that always have been taking advantage of their employees. I, I ain't calling their names, so don't y'all say his name out loud because I don't want them coming at me. He says now, so we... We cannot only do right when we are being watched. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Put your heart in what you're doing. 
and trust God to make sure that you're going to be rewarded for what you're doing. He says, work with enthusiasm. How many of y'all go to work with enthusiasm? Wake up, I mean, you know, you wake up, man, you just, you're ready to go. I mean, you beat the alarm because you're excited about going to See, if you ain't excited about going to work, man, something wrong with your relationship with you and the people you work for. You ought to be excited. Even though you may not like the job, you ought to see every day like you like them when you get paid. <laughs> now, Brother Herb, I'm coming back to you. This is what the Bible says. And we're being taught what the Bible says. But it's up to us to do what the Bible says. So he says, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. In God's eyes, we're all equal. He's not a respected person. And so that's why he come back with the masters and say, look here, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. In other words, in order to understand that, you kind of got to go back and read what he told the slaves to do. So you ought to respect them. You ought to treat them right. So he said, treat them in the same way. Don't threaten them. Kind of like what he told the father. Don't provoke your children. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven. And he has no favor. God showed no partiality when it comes to his plan of salvation. And what he was trying to get this church to see is that no, irregardless of what our relationship was like before Jesus, what that, who was servant, who was slave, who was master, who was this, once we get saved, we come into one body. And so therefore now, the relationship becomes with brothers and sisters in the Lord first. And we always have to keep that in mind. Even though we may have different stages or stations in life based upon what our, you know, our, our, our occupation is, how much degrees we got, or you know, what, what the job is. But man, it, when two Christians work together, man, that ought, to be a, that ought to be a place that just... It should be. It shouldn't be that you can go to work and get along better with heathens than you can with a Christian brother. So, so when he tells us that, man, we got to wake up, and I know sometimes you get tired and you don't want to go to work. We all get like that, man. Dad just don't want to go. But, man, you got to have a little enthusiasm. Good job. The military, you say it all the time, the enthusiasm is contagious. They want you to have a little bit of enthusiasm. Be the core, whatever it is, to make you all feel like you're part of the team. So he said the same way in relationship here. You got to feel like we're on the same team. And so after he started talking about parent relationship with children, then his slaves with masters, then now he ends this book by talking about the warfare that we're engaged in and seeing that it's important for us to understand the magnitude of the fight that we're in. And he wants us to see in this this is the part of the Bible where you just got to receive this in your spirit. He is saying that your biggest enemy you don't even see. And so if you're always dealing with something you can see, 
you're being deceived because there's something behind that that is far bigger than what you can see. And a lot of times we start talking about the spiritual world and, 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 and there being spiritual world. The, the, the thing we have to understand is that there were angels in heaven that fell out of heaven. And so they, they somewhere. And even people who believe in other types of religious arts, whether it's black magic or whatever magic they're dealing with, they believe in evil spirits. Even when I watch the old cowboy movies, the Indians used to sit around and talk about the spirits. And so therefore, we got to realize that if there are spirits in the earth, unseen forces, then you got to believe that they are behind a lot of things that happen. And he is saying, in order for you to win and withstand the attacks, you're going to have to be armored up the way God wants you to be armored up. And if you're not armored up the way God wants you to be armored up, then it's a good possibility that the enemy is going to overtake you. So he's trying to encourage them now, know that you're in warfare. So he said, look, verse 10, a final word, be strong in the Lord. Notice he didn't say be strong in themselves. Your strength comes from the Lord. And in his mighty power, the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, if you feel with the Holy Spirit, that same power is working in you. So he said, now, you got to understand there's a spiritual force on the inside of you to help you withstand the force that's going to attack you. And he said, now, look, when you understand this, you got to put on all of God's armor. The armor don't belong to you. It belongs to God. You got to believe that he done tried it and tested it, and he know that it'll work against your enemy. But if you don't put it on, you're not going to succeed when you go into spiritual warfare. So he said, now, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So the devil is a schemer, he's a planner, he's a deceiver, he's one that can try to entrap you. But if you don't know what his strategies are, you won't know how to fight against him. You have to study your enemy. You got to know how he operates. What is his mode of operation in the earth? Because that's how he is going to attack you. And God has revealed all that to us. But then he said, look, I'm going to help you even further. I'm going to tell you what you need to wear and put on to defeat him. Now, don't get caught up with the pieces of the army and where they go in the head and the breast. That ain't the important thing. Because Paul, being in prison, was probably using the analogy of a Roman soldier to help make some sense to his people what he was talking about. And so he'd take their equipment and see what they used to fight and tie that into a spiritual concept to say, if you have these things that you've received from God, then you should be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. So I'm not a subscriber to, woe is me, Christian, always getting beat down. Hey, if you always getting beat down, you unarmored. You don't know how to use what the Lord has given you to fight with. You ain't supposed to be on the short end of the stick all the time. You ought to get a victory every now and then, Brother Herb. It ought to be a victory. We, we ought to win sometimes. Why be on a team with a God who can't allow you to win sometimes? 
the God of the universe who controlled everything, who, cre who created your enemy. If he created your enemy, don't you think he know how to teach you to defeat him? So if we're getting defeated all the time, it's a good possibility we just don't know how to put on the arm. Because the devil got strategies. He says, now look, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Well, you, if you go back to the beginning of Ephesians, he talks about the heavenly places, being seated in the heavenly places. So he is now telling us that, hey, this unseen world out there is real. And there are things that are moving around even in this room that we can't see. Amen. Amen. This noise that you hear, you don't see it. But there are waves running all through this room. And so what he's saying, look here, when you start engaging in warfare, you are being distracted if you're trying to fight something that you can see. That you can see. Man, you better wake up. <laughs> so it's a dark world out there. And, uh, and, and, and the Bible says dark most of the time. It's man that made the world black. And equated black with evil. But when the Bible talks about evil, it often referred to it as darkness. So somebody on purpose painted evil. I know y'all don't want to hear that. That's why it's so easy to see people who are of color as a lesser value because someone has said, if I brought a chocolate cake in here right now, I think I showed y'all this analogy, and I called it an angel food cake, some of y'all have a fear. There ain't no angel food cake. That's a devil cake. Well, who told you that the white cake is the angel food? Hey. So when I tell you that and put that in your head, then I get you to thinking that God looked at us in colors and he don't. Because we all have the same blood, and he created all man kind. So he said that there's an unseen world out there, and we're fighting against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. He said, now look, therefore put on every piece. Somebody say every piece. Every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist. Somebody say resist. Resist the enemy in the time of evil. In other words, you got to fight. Amen. You can't put the armor on and run. You got to fight. In some battles, you're just going to have to stand your ground and fight the enemy based upon what you have put on. And believe that because you have on God's armor, you can withstand the attack of the enemy. So he says now, so the time is coming that we got to go to battle. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. You know, it's time out for the church running 
from the enemy. Some things the church has got to say that is right and that is wrong. He said, now look, stand, verse 14, your ground, put it on the belt. So don't focus on the belt, and I know what the belt held up everything and all that before we put it. Focus on what the belt, belt represents. So he said, look at this. Stand your ground by putting on the belt of what? So write that down. That's one piece of weapon that you got to fight with. You got to know the truth. Truth makes us free. Truth keeps us from being deceived by the lie. The devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. That's his strategy. He's a manipulator. And so therefore, when people are walking around ignorant and don't know the truth, they are setting themselves up for failure. And so every day when you wake up, you got to say, my, God, my job is to understand the truth based on God's word. Jesus said, I am the truth. So he said, I'm the truth, the way, and the light. No man come unto the Father, to the Father without me. So therefore, we got to believe that when you search these scriptures, man, you got to be looking for truth. Because nowadays, there's so much misinformation out there. Even when you're looking at news stories, man, you could be looking at something, somebody can twist that, and you won't even know the truth, and you just seen it with your own eyes. So that's why he's saying, look, this Bible is going to give us truth. And so when you understand the truth, you don't have to fall for the... The devil is not, normally will not just try to overtake you. That ain't his M.O. His M.O. is to deceive you, to tempt you. If he just came at you straight on all the time, you'll figure that out. He's going to come at you with subtle things that sounds almost like But if you don't know the word, then you won't know the truth. So truth is the first piece of armor. He said, and the body of armor of God's righteousness. Somebody say righteousness. Righteousness is the next piece of armor. You need to understand that righteousness is connected to our integrity and our sincerity and how we live. God wants us to live a certain way. The devil wants us to live just the opposite. So therefore, every day I got to understand what is right in accordance with God's word if I'm going to walk in righteousness. But if I don't know what's right in accordance with God's word, the world has made what we used to call wrong right. And truth and, and rightness now is relative depending on who's speaking it. And that's why we got to know the word and we got to stand on the truth of God's word. Everybody's not going to agree with that. And so I hear people say all the time, girl, I got to just find my truth. Got to speak my truth. Okay. If you're speaking your truth about you and what happened to you, that's fine. But if your truth conflict with the truth, then you got to come in line with the Amen. I'm not telling you not to deny anything that's happened to you and you know where you are, you know how to, no, you, but what I'm trying to say, the truth that we're looking for is not your truth, but God's truth. Your truth is not going to defeat the devil. So now look, we're going to get there. He says, so put on the body armor of righteousness. Then the next thing, for shoes, put on the peace 
that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. So now you got to have peace. That's your third piece of armor. Man, don't you know when you go to war, you can't go to war and you're mad at the commander-in-chief. So I got to have peace with God. So when I go to fight, I know he's on my side. And as long as he's on my side, I got to believe that he's going to help me win. But if I'm at odds with God, then I'm automatically going to set myself up for failure when I deal with the devil. And then I got to be at peace with the people that I'm fighting with. Because nowadays we're seeing people who are on the same team fighting against each, each other. And the Bible is clear that a house divided against itself ain't going to stand. So therefore we got to find that peace that God gives us. And Jesus died so that we could have peace. Man, when you go to war, man, you ought to want to go with a peace of mind that knowing that the cause you're going to fight for is a just cause. And that peace comes from the good news. And the good news when we're going to war with people who don't know the Lord is to let them know that, hey, the Lord and the God that we serve sent his son to die for you. That's the good news. While you was his enemies, he allowed his son to die for you. So now we, we got that. We got the peace part down. Then he says now, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith. Faith depicted as a shield to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. See, the enemy want to shoot darts that cause you to doubt. And if I can get you to doubt any part of this Bible, then I can get you to doubt another part. So I'm going to shoot thoughts in your head. I'm going to shoot stuff towards you that is designed to make you doubt whether or not the word of God is true. And there are people now who've been coming to church for years and years and years are starting to doubt whether or not the word is true. And so therefore, when that happens, the enemy now has got a foothold because now if you start questioning God's word in one area, you're going to question it in other. So you got to make sure that your faith is strong. And if you're lacking faith, you got to ask God to to give you the faith and to strengthen your faith because the Bible lets us know that, man, you can't even please God without faith. So if you're walking around here saying you're going to church every Sunday and your faith ain't nothing, you ain't going to please God. You got to have that. And guess what? He gave you that. Now, just like the military, when I came in the military, I didn't go out and have to manufacture an M16 and some bullets vest and a helmet, they issued it to me. And they didn't even tell me, you know, we're going to let you see the test we ran on it. I put it on and believing that this vest is going to stop a bullet. I wasn't even there when they tested it, I didn't do nothing, but the man they put it on, took the gun, took me M16 around because I had faith in the folks who gave it to me. And so what I'm trying to tell you, if we can trust man to that degree in warfare, we got to trust God in spiritual warfare. If the devil can ever get you to start waning and, and weakening your faith, then it won't be long before you start falling away from the faith. 
The Bible talks about people who have tasted the goodness of God and seen how good he is, but something came in and caused them to fall away from the truth. And so there are people doing that right now, reconstructing their faith. Because the things they used to consider to be true, and they stood on in faith, now they doubt whether or not that was really the truth. So you be careful when you're out there reading everybody online, and when people start talking about they questioning their faith, and they questioning and deconstructed it, and trying to figure out, did I really learn this right? Is this really true? That is a ploy from the enemy to start to get you to doubt what God's word says. Because you're in spiritual warfare. I don't have to come and beat you up physically. I just get you in the wrong place online. Get you to read the wrong stuff every day. And sooner or later, this person that you don't even know controlling you. Because you don't know the Then he says, put on salvation. Now, salvation here, obviously, is not talking about getting saved. The word salvation is broader than just us initially getting saved and giving our life to the Lord. Salvation here is talking about having that level of, of trust to believe that no matter what situations come in your life while you're in warfare, you believe that God can deliver you from it. He can get you through it. He can rescue you. Even when it looked like you're all surrounded by the enemy, you got to believe that, hey, because I know that God wants to save me, not for heaven's sake, but now he wants to save me because he wants me to live through this battle that I'm going through. And so therefore, if you don't have that, and you don't have that assurance and that confidence that God can save you, and look here, he says he used salvation as a helmet. So that means to me, you got to start thinking and knowing that you're saving your mind. Because I'm trying to protect your head. The enemy want to get at you through your... That's why when we get saved, the first thing the Bible is going to tell us, hey, look, you got to transform your mind. you got to transform the way you think. Because if you don't, the enemy is going to always have access to what he has already planted there. So he says, how many? And then he says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of, you can't win without the word. You can't be ignorant of what God's word says. When Jesus got into it with the devil in Matthew chapter 4, it was the word. Hebrews tell us, hey, the word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You can't win against the devil without the word. You can't come to church and don't have some word in your heart. So that when the enemy come against you, you got a word that you can fight him with. Jesus re rebuked and pushed the devil away and caused him to flee because he said it is written. You got to know some things that are written. Amen. And you may not have time to go to your iPhone and try to find the scripture. You just need to know it is. And I'm not telling you to try to remember it's Deuteronomy 3 and 17. You just need to know Israel. It's written somewhere in the book, and I done read it, and because I know it's written, I'm going to just quote back to you what is. And if it's the truth, it don't make no difference what book it's in. 
Now, if you're smart and you can go and you know Deuteronomy and you know Exodus and Leviticus and you got all that, that's good. But Jesus didn't say, go to Exodus, Satan, and read this. He just said, it is. And if it worked for Jesus, it'll work for you. You got to know what is written in God's word. Then he says he brings in prayer. He said, now look, verse 18 says in, in the dictionary, you got to pray in the spirit. In other words, your, your prayer life got to be governed by your spirit, or by the spirit of God. And you got to pray at all times and on every occasion. In other words, we don't pray enough today. Prayer for a lot of Christians, they're just hit and miss. And he's saying you got to be praying for all and every occasion all the time. you got to have an attitude that calls you to want to pray. Even while you're driving, while you're watching television, something come over your spirit, you just stop and start praying. You don't have to be long. He's not looking for eloquent prayer. He's just looking for some communication between you and your source of power. The church needs to pray more. Because if we don't pray more, well, that means that we're not going to have a proper communication link with our Father. He says, now pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Too many soldiers in spiritual warfare is walking around spiritually dull. Their senses have become dull. There was a time when certain words could be said, and when I hear those words, it will cause the hair on my neck stand up. But when I listen to people say those words over and over again, I become desensitized to it. And what used to quicken my spirit, now my spirit is dull and don't even, don't even faze me. And what happens is if you don't study this word and sharpen your skills and your, to your tools, then guess what? You can become spiritually dull. For the word just bounce off your spirit. You're no longer receiving it because there's something else that's going to start cluttering up your life and cluttering up your spirit. He says, now look, pray in the spirit all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So in other words, when you pray, don't pray just for you. Pray for other people because everywhere there is a believer, the enemy is trying to attack. You're not the only one in warfare. You got brothers and sisters all over the world in warfare right now. And so when God gives you an opportunity to pray, lift them up. You don't have to call them by name. All you know is they're brothers and sisters. Then Paul turned around and said, look, and pray for me too. He went right in the left and said, look, when y'all start praying, pray for me. And ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles. In other words, when Paul wrote this, he was in prison. And he said, now even though I'm in prison, I want y'all to pray for me that I don't shrink back, that I don't get scared, that I don't stop proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Even though I'm in prison, I'm going to still preach this word, but I need y'all to pray for me. Because I don't want to get, you know, some of y'all, you know, some of y'all get weak and squirmish when you go around other folks that not say, when you ought to be saying, brother, pray for me, because I'm going to go into this den of vipers, and guess what? I'm going to take the word. 
some of us go into deep places like that and we leave the word because we don't want nobody to know. We are not bold enough to stand up for what we want. God looking for some bold people. And the world has softened us up to make us think that when you make a hard line in the sand against certain things and stand for certain things based on scripture, then oh, you are just self-righteous. You judgmental. I ain't judgmental. I just know what the Bible says. And so it's time now for y'all shrinking back. I got a newsflash for you. You can't be saved and think you're going to be friends with everybody. It just don't work that way. Jesus was the savior of the world, and everybody didn't befriend him. So they ain't going to befriend and stop worrying about who your BFF is and all this, your bestie and all that craziness out there. <laughs> if your bestie don't know the Lord like you do, they probably should be your. Y'all calling folk bestie, and then y'all believe two different things. How can that be my bestie? Yes, go ahead. How about praying? I used to pray, well, I, I still pray, but I mean, like, when I get up, I pray silently, right? And I used to be told, why you stay quiet? Why you, why you don't speak the word so everybody can hear? And I'm thinking, the only person that I'm praying to, I sure can hear me. I mean, I open in my mouth, but um, so my question is, is it okay to pray silently? Absolutely. I don't think God got no problem with that. People have said that, you know, a certain place in the Bible say, when you pray, say. And so they take that to mean that you got to literally say something all the time. But there may be some time when your prayer is in your heart. I mean, you can't stand up in the middle of staff meeting with the wing commander. Hey, let's take time out. I'm finna pray. No, you got to be praying while they cutting the food up there. Yeah. I mean, they, they ain't even got to know you praying. Now you are, you praying fervently, man. Let these dudes make the right decision, because this is crazy. So, so don't think that because you pray out loud and people see you, then we get in that Pharisaic attitude to think because we got long words and wordy prayers that they mean more than someone's short prayer. He says, now look, so I don't want to you know, I want to keep speaking boldly for him as I should. So in other words, Paul says, I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So I pray that I will keep, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. We got to pray for boldness. Amen. I mean, if you want to be bold, you got to pray for it. Pray that I be bold for the Lord. I ain't going to be no wimp. I ain't going to shrink back. I ain't going to get around my besties and they don't even know I'm saved. I'm going to be bold. I ain't going to beat them up with it, but they're going to know. And they're going to know certain things they can't say or do around me. Because sometimes we let everything go with the groups we're in, we enable them to keep doing what they're doing. 
at least allow them to respect you for who you are. And don't always run run to be respected by the world that we came out of. We know what that game is like out there. But all Christians don't want to be bold. They want to be weak, whole mouth, crying, go find pastor so I can get a prayer through. Think I got I got I got I got to get, get to the altar at the church. No, you better make an altar right there in your office. You, you, better, you ain't gonna get to the church. You better you better get on your knees right there at your desk. Somebody gotta get. Come on. Because now you're thinking that everything that you do got to be something that you can touch or feel or see. When I'm telling you, this is spiritual warfare. Now look, he says. He says, so I am in chains, but still preaching the message as a good ambassador. In other words, an ambassador works on somebody else's behalf. Working for the king of kings, Lord of lords. And so he just wants to keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. We speak on his behalf. That's why it's important for us to know the word, because as long as we're speaking what the words say, we're speaking on his behalf. Look at verse 21. I'm about to wrap this up. He says this. He says, to bring you up to date, Titus will give you a full report about what I am doing and how I am getting along. In other words, the guy who's bringing this letter back to you is going to give you everything because I can't write it all down. It's just too much. If I wrote it too much, we'll never get through this. I'm going through a whole lot. He can just explain it to you better, and he can tell you exactly what the conditions are like here in Rome. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I told you all the time that ministry is a team effort. God never set his kingdom up to be a one-man show. It's a team effort. That's why we are brothers and sisters in the Lord, but it's important that we are faithful brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen. You don't want to just be no helper. You want to be a faithful helper. You don't want to just be a brother or sister. You want to be beloved. You want your brothers to be loved. So that, that means that you got a different level of relationship with them. That's why John was called a beloved disciple. He said, now look, I have sent you, sent him to you for this very purpose, purpose to let you know what we are doing and to encourage you. Now Paul said, look, man, I'm in prison going through but I still want him to encourage you because I know you're going through. You may not be locked up. You may not be in, in chains like I am, but this enemy that we are fighting is fighting you just like he's fighting me. And so therefore, I want you to be encouraged while you're going through your fight because I'm encouraged by the fight that I'm going through. And so when you understand that we're all in warfare, you always got a battle going on somewhere in the spiritual realm. It just ain't manifested right in your face right now, but the enemy is always scheming and planning to take you out. So when you walk around acting like you don't have an enemy, every day you need to be on alert. And you need to go into battle believing that if I'm armored up and I got on everything I'm supposed to have on, I'm supposed to win these battles. If I lose a little skirmish, okay, got it. I, I made a mistake today, but look at here. I know that the victory still belong to me. Then he says, peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And I, I like the way he kind of ended this because he, he really, he really says something really 
bold right here. And may the God, may God, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, give you love with faithfulness. In other words, we combine love and faithfulness together because they're working together now so that you can walk in this grace. And look what he says. May God's grace be eternally upon you. Somebody's favor. Upon all, underline this right here, because this is very important. Don't miss this last little part. It looked like he wasn't praying for grace on everybody. So it looked like he ain't, he ain't going to just spread that grace around. I know that seems bad because some people think everybody's going to walk in grace. No. He said he ain't even praying for you to walk in grace. Unless something. Look here. May God's grace be eternally upon you, upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. So I ain't going to pray for grace on you unless you're in love with Jesus. I ain't wasting God's favor on somebody who don't love Jesus. That's kind of bold. I, I know the day we could, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that bold. Paul was bold. He was, he was a unique guy. So he had the bold to call like, what? He was writing to a church now. And so he just telling them, hey, look, everybody that you hang out with ought to love the same person you love. I mean, I'm not saying that every person you work with or you go and bowl with or go darts or whatever you do out there, you got to love Jesus like you love Jesus. But they ought to at least know who you're in love with. You know, those of you who are young and still dating or whatever, man, hey, look, make that part of your requirements list. You ain't got nothing to lose. Who are you in love with? Because I want you to be in love with him before you fall in love with Because you fall in love with me without him, it's a good possible. My odds go down when I hook up with you and you don't love him. We're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. Yeah, right. There's some spiritual forces behind that, Rapster. Uh, no, y'all didn't want to hear that. Young people, I wasn't messing with y'all. Now y'all know. Can, I thought y'all were going to be able to spot, man. Can I say something for you, sure, Pastor? Sure, Brother Herb, yeah. One of the things we have to realize what, the, uh, uh, what Jesus says when he built the church. And it comes in, uh, uh, just remember, in Matthew six, 16, 18. Uh-huh. When he's talking about the gates of hell. Can't destroy this church. Uh-huh. You don't realize how much power that you that Jesus has given you. Nothing can destroy this, this church. If you put on this warfare things that you uh, you just mentioned that we can carry on as a daily thing. And also it talks about we are in a battle. And then then second Corinthians chapter ten, if you read three and five, it's also mentioned about some things on the warfare and the things you got to remember that we, as a church, we have to stand to the point where it says on strongholds, 
reasoning and destroyed false arguments and also captured the faults. Amen. So we have to stand knowing that to the point that we are in a battle. Amen. And but the weaponry tree, you have to know your weaponry is this the word what you just got to saying. Amen. And nothing can can whoop this. Amen. Now can't whoop this. Amen. So you have to know. Amen. And God's given Jesus gave it to us. But God has given us divine weaponry can knock down the strongholds and the arguments that comes in your life. Amen. And if you don't know it. If you don't put your whole armor on, you will get whooped. Amen. Amen. I, I agree with everything you're saying. And as we get ready to close and look at some announcements, you know, the battle is for your mind. Yes. I mean, strongholds take place in your mind. And so, therefore, you can't stop the enemy from shooting thoughts in your head. They're going to come. But you got to take them captive and realize that this thought don't belong here. I can't let it stay here and take root in my mind. Because if it does, then it's a good possibility it may change the way I think about certain things. That's why when you're watching television, and I watch a lot of stuff. I didn't used to watch TV a lot now. So I don't got beyond just looking at CNN and, and the sports channels now. So I do look at some of those little stories on TV. And I listen closer to what they're teaching our young people today, man, and the language, the subtle language that they use. And I mean, I hear words, and I'm always saying, Google, Siri, what that mean? And, man, when I look up some of those words, they don't change and use it. I'm saying, my God, if these kids are listening to that and they're trying to identify with what that word means, ooh, ooh. So what we got to realize, the enemy can use any medium to come against you. Too much of anything other than the word of God and the, and the Lord himself ain't good for you. Amen. And so knowing that, protect your mind. Pray to God to give you a sound mind and that you protect your mind so that every thought don't get inside your head and, 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 and build a nest there and cause you to start changing the way you think about certain things. People try to change your heart by getting into your head. Amen. Even in, you know, in, the, in the dating game, it's a, it's a mind game. I mean, everybody playing games with each other's mind. Who got the stronger mind? The mind of Christ. You'll be all right. Amen. Any questions, any comments as we get ready to close? Thank you for your time tonight. We've got a couple of announcements before we...